few weeks ago, I, uh, I began, I, I shared a little bit a few weeks ago about Ezekiel, where Ezekiel, the Lord called Ezekiel and told him to prophesy to the valley of dry bones. And uh, as I was pressing into that uh, over the past few weeks, I've had a few weeks to really press into it. Tish spoke, and then uh, last week we uh, just wanted to be sensitive to the Lord, and he kind of took us in a different direction. So uh, all I can tell you is put on your seatbelt, because I've been holding on to this for a little while, and we'll try to try to get it out in a way without being like... Uh, drinking water from a fire hydrant. I have a potential to do that sometime, especially when I get a little stirred up. <laughs> and, uh, but there's some things that I want to share in this, and this will probably be a, a little different service, but that's all good. Uh, but he told Ezekiel, he said this, he said, Son of man, prophesy to these dry bones. So just that statement, Son of man, it began uh, my wheels turning. My wheels began to turn as I began to press into that because the word man in the Hebrew is Adam, Adam. The word man, literally the Hebrew word for man is Adam. So that's the grid we're going to start from. All right, so if you'll get that, that's where we're starting from. Hopefully we can hang on together because as I begin to think about that, he spoke intentionally I believe, to Ezekiel in that way. He didn't just say, Ezekiel, prophesy. He said, son of man, prophesy. Son of Adam, prophesy. Why? Because when we go back to Genesis, we see that God created man for a purpose. Right? He created man for a purpose. Not just a purpose, but he created man in an image. See, here's what I want to put before you. And... Hopefully, I'll get through it and, and we'll, we'll under, have a clear understanding of it. But I believe that Adam, the man, was the second Adam, not the first. I believe the first Adam was Jesus Christ. He's the first Adam and he's the last Adam. And Adam that we know as man, and if you'll even read in the scripture, this is what popped out to me. For all my life, I've said the first Adam. Nowhere in the scriptures that call him the first Adam. It says the first man, Adam. There's a distinction. He calls him the first man, Adam, as a name. He named him Adam because Adam means man. And it says that he uh, is a type of the one who is to come. Revelations 1 and Revelations 22 says Jesus himself declared, I'm the Alpha and Omega. But what he really declared, now hear me out, <laughs> I told you I've had some time. What he really declared is, I am the Aleph and Tav. Why would you say he, that's what he declared? Because Jesus spoke Hebrew, not Greek. Okay, track with me. We're going somewhere. He spoke Hebrew, not Greek. Well, why does, why does it say Alpha and Omega? Because the New Testament was written in Greek because it was, it was to reach the Gentile world, the Greeks, because the Jews had rejected Jesus it doesn't mean that the Jews couldn't, can't be born again. They can be born again today. The, Jews didn't, the Gentiles didn't replace the Jews. It was just Jesus said they rejected so that they could come to the Gentiles, so the gospel would go to the Gentiles. The Gentile world was a, was a Greek-speaking world. So the, the New Testament, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. Are you with me? 
we got to understand this. So in Revelation, when Jesus declared who he was, he said, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. I am the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. So as I begin to meditate on this, and you go, why is this, this matter? Why is this practical to us today? Because if we understand and really believe that Jesus is the first and the last, that he was not an afterthought. It says in, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't like God said, oh, man messed up, so I've got to have a sacrifice now. I've got to come up with another plan. Are you with me? That's not what happened. He was before all things. <laughs> wow. So why is that important? Because if we can understand that Jesus wasn't an afterthought and that we're in Jesus, that means we're not an afterthought. And that, that brings new light to where he said, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. You weren't an afterthought. I don't care what, part, what uh, things in life brought you to this place in this service today, but I want you to understand, you're not a mistake. You're not an afterthought. Even as Tish shared a few weeks ago, you were created with destiny and purpose on the inside of you. We were created in the image of the sun. As, as a matter of fact, in the, oh, wow. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says this and amplifies. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam. See, all my life I said the first Adam. And I call Jesus the last Adam. But nowhere does it refer to Adam as the first Adam. It says the first man, Adam. I think that's significant because what he's, what he's really saying is the first man, man. We, okay. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, an individual personality. The last Adam. Now, he's declared the last Adam. He didn't say the last man, Adam. The last Adam. That's just like where the Word of God says that the, the, uh, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a difference. We can say, but Jesus, uh, the, the grace and truth was given by Jesus. No, it came through him. He embodied grace and truth. Hallelujah. First Corinthians, um, thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, an individual personality. The last Adam, Christ, became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. The first Adam was a form, a frame. The first man, Adam, was a form, a frame that God created to carry his presence. Would you agree with that? I mean, he created man, placed him in the garden, and said, have dominion. I don't, I don't want to go back and read everything in Genesis. Read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and it, it lays the foundation for this. That he told Adam, you have authority over everything. Who named the creatures? Adam. And he, told, he said, be fruitful and multiply, and let, let his glory cover the earth. That was the purpose of it. So if you read... Uh, Wow, let me find it. Romans 5, 14. Romans 5, 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who have not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type, 
of him who is to come. So Adam is a what? Type of him who is to come. So that, again, as I was thinking about all this, I began to just really meditate and say, all right, Lord, I, I, I know there's something here that you want us to see, and I don't want to miss it. So I began to dig into it, and the word type, it literally means this. <laughs> it literally means this mark of a stroke, a blow, or a print. So when it says that Adam, the first man Adam, was a type of him who was to come, it meant that he was a stamp. So if there's a stamp, there has to be an original. Are you tracking with me? So Jesus, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, we, that word God there, it's a plural word, Elohim. It's, it's plural. But in the beginning, God created. In that passage of Scripture, after the word created... There's an untranslated Hebrew word that appears 5,000 times in the Old Testament. You know what it is? Aleph Tav. <laughs> Come on! Woo! 5,000 times in the Old Testament, the, the letters Aleph Tav. What is that significant? Because in Revelation, he said, I am the Aleph and the Tav. I am the beginning and the end. I'm the first. I'm before all things, and if everything quits, I'm still there. <laughs> I am the olive and the top. All right, let me take it another step. You ready? I told you to put your seatbelt on. We look in Matthew. In Matthew's gospel, we have, I'm not going to go there, but you can turn here. In Matthew's gospel, we have the genealogy, right? From, uh, well, let me go there. We've done this before, not too long ago. But in Matthew, the genealogy of Christ, it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah. I'm not going to read all of that. And you get down uh, to verse uh, 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David till the captivity of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity of Babylon, uh, in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. Right? It's right here. I don't want you to take my word for it. Matthew 1.17. So if you go back in the previous 16 verses and you read, when it goes into the last 14 generations, uh, verse 12... It says, and after they were brought to ba uh, Babylon, Jeconiah begot, and I'm not going to read all those because I will mess them up. There are 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, a husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. If you go back and you count from, oh, where was that? From Je Jeconiah to Jesus. Is 13. But this, verse 17 says there's 14 generations. Why is there 14 generations, but it was 13 to Jesus? Because Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's Messiah, the anointed one. It's a position that he has. So what I'm saying is this. The Bible throughout scriptures, especially in the book of Ephesians, talks about us being in 
in Christ. In Christ, Messiah, the person, the 14th generation is the people you're looking at in this room. We're the 14th generation in the lineage of Christ, of Jesus. He was the 13th, we're the 14th. Why? Because he's the beginning and the end. He was, he was, the, he was the stamp, the blow that came, that, that Adam came out of the dirt. The first man, Adam. And he became a living being, a living soul, one translation says. But it says here we read that Christ became a life-giving spirit, the last Adam. So our identity and our type is not in the second Adam, which was the fallen Adam. But this is where most people live. They live with their identity in the second Adam, not the first. And you don't have to agree with me. That's okay. We can go on and we can be friends. But I think from the script, Jesus himself said, I'm the Aleph and the Toph. You know what's so amazing in that? When you begin just to study the Aleph, the, the letter Aleph, uh, go ahead. I might just butcher this, but we're going to go for it. This is not my thing. If you've known me for five years I've been here, this is not my thing. I don't, I just don't. The Aleph, but if you the Aleph, if you look at this, there's three parts to it. There's one that goes up, one in the middle, and one that comes down. These three parts are significant. In that, in the Hebrew, what the uh, Hebrew scholars believe, the one that goes up is called the Yod or Yud, and the one that goes down is called the Yud, and the one in the middle is called the Vav. So it's Yud, Vav, Yud. And what it, it speaks of is Christ, the very word, the very letter, speaks of Christ because it's, it's where we get the word Yud, He, Vav, He. When he said, whom should I say sent me? He said, tell him, I am sent you. Jehovah sent you. So the, the very letter, just the letter, not the spelling. There's meaning to the spelling, the A-E-L-P-H. There's meaning to that. And hopefully I'll get to that. <laughs> but just this, it, mean, it talks about Christ, that the youth reaching up into heaven and reaching down to man. Let me, let me read it to you. The upper yud, meaning arm, represents the hidden and infinite aspect of Yahweh, whereas the lower yud represents the revelation of Yahweh to mankind. The vav, whose meaning is hook, shows the connectedness between the two realms. Vav is also thought to represent humanity since Adam was created on the sixth day. Vav is diagonal since it is, it is humbled in the face of God's mystery and his revelation. The two yuds also indicate the paradox of experiencing God as both hidden and close, far and near. All right, let me, I'm going to do it. Go ahead and put the next one up. This is the Tav, Aleph and Tav. So when he says, I'm the beginning and the end, he says, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. Go to the next one. So that was just the letter, Aleph. You know, it looks like a, just a little letter right here to the left. But when you, the letter, if you take the yud, the vav, and the yud, and you add them up, because in Hebrew, here's what you have to understand. Every letter in Hebrew has a numeric significance or counterpart. Every letter is a number. Are you with me? So, to the letter, the, the numeric value is 26. And when you write out in Hebrew, I am that I am, 
It's the same numeric value. Go to the next one. This is the word Aleph. In Hebrew, it's Aleph, Lamed, Pei. That's the three letters that spell Aleph. And they equal 111. It's the name Elohim. I told you Elohim is plural. It means the three in one, the one in three. And here, the very word Aleph spelled out is 111. One, one, one. Why is that significant? Because I want you to understand, we don't have an Old Testament about the Jews and a New Testament about Jesus. The whole book is about Jesus if we'll choose to see him from Genesis to Revelation. As I said, in the beginning, God created, and then it goes, there's, a, there's untranslated, two letters untranslated. It's the Aleph Taf, the heavens and the earth. And Jesus said, I'm the Aleph Taf. Are you with me? So in the beginning, there was Jesus. It says that Adam is a type. Romans 5 says Adam is a type. He is a type. It means he's a stamp, a blow. Listen to this. Let me, I got excited. I got ahead of myself. Adam, it means man, but you know what the root word of Adam means? To show blood. To be red. The root word of Adam means to show blood. Now do you believe? I'm just kidding. Jesus, what did Jesus come to do? To shed his blood. He's the olive. He's the top. Let me go a little further. I don't have this. You can put the logo up. I'm done with that. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to look at me. I'm just kidding. Olive, the symbol. All the Hebrew letters also have a symbol with them. So they, they're a letter. They have a numeric value. And they have a symbol. Are you with me? See, we think Christianity is shallow. We think serving God is just empty. It's just for the weak people. I'm telling you, God is deeper than you know what deep is. It's all dependent. That's why he said, if you hunger and thirst, you'll be filled. That's why he said, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. You'll see him in places you never expected. This all came from him saying to Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy. Because I want you to understand, if he told Ezekiel to prophesy, you can prophesy. That's what 1 Corinthians 14 says, that we should be pro- Why? Because we have him in us living and releasing his life, and that life is waiting to be released. But if we don't think that there's significance in us to be released, we'll just sit back and let the world do its thing. The first Adam, his very name means to show blood, to be, to be read. Jesus the Aleph and Tav, the beginning and the end. And our identity is in him as the Aleph and the Tav, the beginning and the end. And I was going somewhere else and I got totally twisted. We'll go to 1 Corinthians 14 then because I have no idea where I was going just then. It was good though. I know what it was. The Aleph and the Tav, the symbols. Mel's going to have some editing to do because that's going to be loud on the MP3 when I clapped in the mic. Uh, the Aleph, the symbol is an ox. And you know what the symbol of the Tav is? It's a cross. Jesus came as our what? Sacrifice. The ox. The sacrifice. What did David do when he took, uh, how many, I mean, 
thousands of oxen were sacrificed to the Lord when David received the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant and was bringing it back to Jerusalem. So what is it saying? Uh, that Jesus, he, is the, he was the sacrifice that brought the cross. See, we put crosses up. We had a cross on our thing. We put crosses up. And the, you know what a cross is? It's a memorial. It's pointing to someone, not something. It's pointing to someone. who. It's really a, a, a form of, of a torture. It, it would be likened today that we walk around with a gas chamber hanging around our neck. Or, a, or a, a needle for lethal injection. I mean, that's what it was. It was a form of death. But see, for us, it's not a, a form of death. For us, it's a sign that points to life. And he says, when he says, I, I'm the olive, I'm, the, I'm the, the bullock that was sacrificed for you, and I'm the cross that brings you into relationship. What is... What did uh, the Amplified in uh, Romans say? I'm not Romans. Um, let me, First Corinthians, out of the Amplified, he said this, that the last Adam became a life-giving spirit, restoring the dead to life. <laughs> Doing what? Restoring the dead to life. He said in John 10, I've come that you might have life and have it how? More abundantly. How do we have that? We have that through identity in him, through understanding. See, I, I, I hope that you get something out of this. That this wasn't just something that really got me pumped up. But when we understand that Adam was created with purpose to populate the earth with the light and presence of God, right? The man Adam. The first man, Adam, that's what he was created to do, to cover the earth with the glory of the Lord. He failed in that assignment. But it wasn't an afterthought of God that said, dang, Adam messed up, so now we've got to do something. That's why the Bible is emphatic in saying that Jesus the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. He, I want, he wanted you to understand. And as a matter of fact, even he said he created us in what? His image. It says Jesus took on the form of a man. He took on the frame of a man to redeem man because man gave away what God had given him, which was he, he, the power and authority of God on the earth. Man forfeited that. So Jesus came in that same frame. But Jesus wasn't made after the image of Adam. Adam was made after the image of Jesus. Because he's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. And, and I'm just telling you, a faith arose on the inside of me when I realized that, and you know, maybe this is just a, a revelation to me. Maybe you're way ahead of me and you had all this figured out. But to me, I had a good time in this. Is understanding that Adam, Jesus, was the stamp that created Adam to do what he was here to do. That's why. See, I believe with all, the, every fiber of my being, that identity is tied to authority. Adam, the first man, created, stamped out from the image of the God-man Jesus. That was why when God paraded the animals in front of him, he didn't have an identity crisis, and he didn't go, how, how am I going to name them? Who am I? Why? Because what he, what he had been stamped out of what he had been made from 
had life in it. It had prophecy in it. It had declaration in it. (laughs) So if we who are made after the last Adam, if we, that 14th generation, with the life of Christ in us, we're not just mere men hanging on till Jesus comes. That's not who we are. We have identity. We have purpose. We have destiny. Okay, and again, the purpose in this, Son of Man, prophesy. Proverbs says this, that uh, Proverbs 11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. By the blessing, by the declaration, by the prophecy of the upright, a city is exalted. I'm just convinced that we look around and we see society and the shape that it's in, we see the world in the shape that it's in, I think it's because of what the, the believers in His image have been declaring. Don't shout me down. I'm right this time. This ain't a thought. I'm telling you I'm right. Because what they speak is death. What they speak is condemnation. What they speak is disgust and bitterness and, and wrath. Death and life is in the power of the tongue. He said, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. I'm telling you, you can go into the city and you can choose to declare light or declare darkness. He said, son of man, prophesy. Ezekiel could have said, they're just a bunch of bones. They'll always be a bunch of bones. You can ride into a community and say, this is always a bad community. It's always going to be a bad community. People here don't care. It'll always be this way. You know what you did? You just declared darkness in darkness. Boy, you've you're, you got to be powerful to do that. But to stand on the edge of darkness and declare light is who Jesus is looking for. That's the glorious bride that he's looking to come back to. Not one that's just rolling in the dirt with the dirt, but one that's standing beside the dirt in all of its beauty, declaring life to the dead. Beauty to ashes. Can it live? Yes, it can live. But you, we, see, it's not up to Jesus. It's not up to Jesus. It's up to us. The crawl. He said, I'm the beginning and the end. What's the top? It's the cross. What was he saying? I finished everything I came to do. <laughs> Somebody get it. Just one person get it. That's all I'm asking. Just one. Grab hold of it. Because why is the cross the top? Because it was there that everything that had been done wrong was made right. And it was there that the, the second Adam, his sin died, and the last Adam resurrected, and our identity is in the last Adam. First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter 14, you know what First Corinthians 13 is? The love chapter. It's the love chapter. I'm going to tell you, 1 Corinthians 13 to give you a checkup from the neck up. 
it'll let you know where you are. It'll let you know how you're walking. Because it talks about his kind of love. And see, here's the thing. We don't have to pray for his love. His love's already been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You don't have to pray for it. What you have to determine is, am I going to let it out? It's already in there. It's in there. It's all inside. I think Intel had a commercial about that. They just copied what the Lord had already said. It's in there, all inside. It's in there. I've placed it in you, the fruit of the Spirit. So, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That word there it means to lustfully covet. That sounds religious, doesn't it? <laughs> Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. See, if you come to church with an understanding, I have something to bring. And it doesn't mean that you've got to go, Thus saith the Lord God Almighty, I hath come amongst thine presence today. We, so, we get so religious, we think a prophetic word has to start, Thus saith the Lord. That's not what he says. I'm not making fun of people who've done that. I'm just telling you, that's what we've allowed. See, I've watched in my experience, and I'm not old. I'm 45 years old. I'm not old, but I've watched in my experience in the church is we allow traditions to shape our belief system instead of our beliefs to shape our traditions. And when we see tradition and we see, well, this is the way it's been done, that's just what we do instead of pursuing truth. Andrew Womack says it this way, most people don't allow the, their, the Bible to get in the way of their theology. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. <clears throat> so when we pray in tongues, what do we do? Build up ourselves. This wasn't a trick question. We build up ourselves. Paul said, forbid no man to speak in tongues. He said when a man's speaking in tongues, who's he talking to? He's talking to God. Not talking to you. Can there be an interpretation? Absolutely. There can be an interpretation, and it talks about that here in this passage. But he said, when you speak in tongues, when you pray in tongues, you're not talking to man. You're talking to God. But when you prophesy, everyone in the church can be encouraged. Have you ever been in a service where someone gave a prophetic word they got from the Lord, and you were encouraged? If not, you're going to be blessed today because we've got someone who's gotten a word they felt like the Lord said they, wanted, they needed to release over this body today. And I said, absolutely. We're going to do it because it goes right in line. The Lord knew what he was doing when he told you because I already had it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's just that good. He said, the one who prophesies speaks to people for the upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. That'll mess up a whole bunch of denominations, won't it? This sharp, black, sharpie, black, sharpie, black. What do they call it like in the CIA and all that? They, uh, they have a document they remended. Is that what they? Huh? Redact it. 
Yeah, it, it looks like some kid got your schoolwork and, and colored on it. You can't. On this, and they went. That's the end of my report. <laughs> Everything else is a black line. I'm convinced if we really believe the Bible is true, there ought to be a lot of redacted Bibles. Not amen, oh me. Because there's so many things the Bible says that people go, yeah, well, that was for this, that was for them, that's not for us. Then just mark it out. Just kidding. But I'm being that serious about it. We ought to really understand. What did he say? It's not Todd. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues. I'm just going to say that again. I want you all to speak in tongues. That's not a charismatic doctrine. It is, but it's, it, <laughs> that's an uh, oxymoron statement. It's, a, it's a, a doctrine in the charismatic church, but it's not from the charismatic church. It's from the Word. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater. And that word greater there, it means not in equality, but in importance. And significance at the time. Do you hear me? Listen, he doesn't say that those who prophesy are better than those who speak in tongues. What he's literally saying is when you prophesy in the church where everybody's listening, it's of more importance than you just standing in there speaking in tongues. But he doesn't say you can't speak in tongues, but he said when you prophesy, that whole church is edified. It's of more importance. Are you with me? That's what greater means here. It's of more importance at that particular time than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So what is that talking about? That's not talking about us being in here and singing a new song to the Lord. That's talking about, I mean, how much would you be edified if I got up here and just spoke in tongues for 20 minutes? I would be all jacked up. But you'd be like, I sure wish I knew what he was saying. Do you know what he's saying? I'm lost as a ball in high weeds. I don't have a clue. And I could be up here just red-faced, tears running. And y'all just be like. But if I said, I feel like what the Lord said through that is this, then we can all be encouraged. That's important. (laughs) See, I, I think about these things. This is my world. And what I think about is this, is I look at unbelievers who go, I don't want anything to do with religion. And I commend them on that. But we've preached for years and years and years, it's not religion, it's relationship. It's not religion, it's not relationship. And then I go, okay, I agree with that. It's not religion, it's relationship. So if they still don't want it, then that means that the relationships that's being modeled in front of them lacks appeal. It means the relationships that's modeled in front of them has become religious even though they say they're about relationship. Because they come to church and do their church thing and then they go, I'm telling you, I'm in a world now, I'm in an environment now that I haven't been in in, in years and I see how people, I, don't, I, I won't ever be one who tries to make an unbeliever act like a believer. And an unbeliever acting like a heathen doesn't offend me. Now, if they use the Lord's name in vain, I'll tell them, hey, look, I don't care what you do. You can run your head into a wall. But he's, he's, he didn't damn anybody. He, if there was anyone damned, it was Jesus for your sin. 
And I said that just the other day in this environment. But that doesn't offend. I've got people who, well, when they do that stuff, that just offends me. But that's because you are religious. Because you're asking an unsaved person to act saved. Just because you're around. That's a problem. That's a problem. I don't have a problem with that. But what, what hurts my heart, it hurts my heart to see unsaved people. What hurts my heart is people who profess to be believers, but they act like unbelievers when they're around unbelievers. And I look at that and I go, I, I see why unbelievers don't want to know Jesus because we've been preaching for years. It's not religion, it's relationship. It's not religion, it's relationship. But their relationship, I'm telling you, I, I'm thankful that, uh, and I've said this before and it's sitting about my daughter, but I'm thankful that my daughter, she gets married this Friday. It's good and sad, it's hard and happy all at the same time. A baby girl. <laughs> Happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts. (laughs) But when she was around two years old, I prayed and I said, Father, I don't know who her future maid is going to be, but you do. And this is for, I knew he was the olive in the top. (laughs) I said, you do. So I want you to make, I want him to be prepared to love you and to love his family just as we're going to prepare her. And I always told Brianna, and this this isn't tooting my horn. I'm just telling you the reality. I said, you don't ever settle for a man that you haven't seen in, in a way that you haven't seen me honor and love your mother. Don't settle for anything any less. And I'm going to tell you, this young man is an amazing young man. And I've watched him honor her. I've watched him honor us. I've watched him honor his parents. And uh, I am. that makes me excited. That makes me excited. Uh, excited <laughs> on the inside to know that's the relationship that she's walking into. Now, if I had been one who cussed her mother out and went to church and said, Jesus is beautiful, and if I was one who degraded her mother, and I'm just telling you, I'm being as transparent as I can be because I'm talking about relationship and what we're modeling. You can ask my daughter, has she ever seen her mother and I fight? And she'll tell you No. Has she ever been in the other room and heard me yelling at her mother? She'll tell you no. Why? Because I love my wife first and foremost, and I want to honor Jesus and my wife, but also I wanted to leave an example for her that when she was looking for a man that she didn't settle for for somebody who would smack her, somebody who would degrade her, degrade her, and belittle her in the presence of others. We're talking about relationship, right? And what I'm talking about is I believe there's a world out there that's hurting, that wants to know truth. They're looking for the real deal. I, I, as I said in Mark's gospel, Jesus had been among the people and he went apart to pray. And Peter came to him and he said, Jesus, where, are, where have you been? Everybody is looking for you. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, Todd, that hadn't changed. Everyone is still looking for Jesus. And what they've been handed is a lot of other stuff. But what they're looking for is Jesus. So how do we have this relationship? One, identity is tied to authority. And two, if you understand that you're not an afterthought, that you're not a mistake, that you have destiny, that you have purpose, and that he has 
made a way, as Hebrews says, that we can enter in boldly to the throne, then we'll enter that relationship. I, you know, Papa John helped me with this tremendously. Saying that he would tell, he corrected me more than once when I'd say, well, I have to go do something. He'd say, Todd, you don't have to. You get to. You know, I was talking with someone uh, Friday. We had a meeting that should have taken 30 minutes took almost three hours, and we're talking. And uh, Near the end of the meeting, we began to talk about the Lord and church and things like that. And uh, they made the statement, well, we do this and this because we have to go on Sunday. And I said, you know, my heart and my passion is this, that people's pro- their, their verbiage will change from I have to to I get to. I get to. Man, I don't come to church because I'm the pastor. I come because I get to come fellowship with some people who love Jesus and who, who express him and his love, and it shifts the atmosphere. I said, what would it sound, sound like in, in my relationship with my wife again if I, am I doing my thing and I'm with the guys and I go, well, I have to go home. What if my daughter, when she hung out with me, well, baby girl, we're having fun, but we got to go home to mama now. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. It's all about perspective, and perspective comes from your identity. See, I know, not just that I love my wife, but that she crazy loves me. Is that right, babe? She crazy loves me. And you know what? Because I know that, it affects every area of my life. It affects how I minister. It affects how I have relationship with others. And the same is true with him. What he's saying is, I want you to understand your identity. I want you to understand who you are so that when the opportunity arises for you to share, for you to give a word for you to pray that you're not doing it from when I hope God hears me, but you're doing it from saying, I'm his favorite. <laughs> First Corinthians, I'll, uh, I'll close with this. First Corinthians 14, 31 says this. So if you were just wondering, this all began with what Ezekiel, he told Ezekiel, what son of man do what? Prophesy. Verse 31 says, for you can all prophesy. Who can? You can all prophesy. And some people just got a lump in their throat because they go, where's he going now? What's he going to make us do? Look, one by one, that all may learn and all may be comforted, encouraged. For you can all prophesy. He told Ezekiel what? Son of man, prophesy. And he did it from a position. He said, son of Adam, prophesy. See, we are in, and I've got scripture after scripture after scripture talking about us being in Christ. I said I was closing. I shut the book, didn't I? Let me just share a few. Is that all right? <laughs> I'll share a few, and then I'll stop. Romans 3, 
23. We like this one in religion, in traditional church. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24 says this, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So in Christ Jesus, there's redemption. There's justification in Christ Jesus. So when you stand in him, that 14th generation, those sons and daughters of the last Adam, when you stand in him, how do you stand? You stand redeemed and you stand justified. 623 of Romans says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. That word eternal doesn't just mean that we're going to live forever. That word eternal means it's life as God has it. Amen. Romans 8, there's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't even have to go any further. <laughs> if we're talking about identity, we're talking about understanding. He said here that we're, there's justification and redemption. There's eternal life. And here he said there's no condemnation. <laughs> there's no condemnation. Man, that right there will set us free if we believe the Bible to be true. That'll set us free. I, Romans 8, 1 and 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. That'd be good to look up. So I uh, was on the way here. I went and picked Tina up this morning uh, and was coming. I come early and then I go back and get her. We don't stay in two different places. I went back to pick her up to bring her to church just in case anybody's wondering. He just talked about what a great relationship he had, and he had to go pick his wife up. Where was his wife? I was here at 7.30 this morning and went back after 9 to get her. And uh, <laughs> I picked her up, and on the way here, I received a text from Stephanie. And Stephanie said, I was in prayer this morning, and I felt like the Lord gave me a, a word and uh, for the church and so, Stephanie, I want you to come and just share what the Lord, because what's so cool, you know, this is how good the Lord is to me, and this just comes out, it's not because I'm his favorite above you, I'm favored above you, it's because my heart's desire is to know him and to make him known. Do I do it right all the time? No, I don't do it right all the time. Do I get distracted? Absolutely. Do, do I uh, put time in places I shouldn't more than I should sometimes? Absolutely. But you know what? That doesn't affect his relationship with me. Amen or oh me, that's truth. But my passion, my heart's desire is to hear him and to know him. And as I said, this is to me, it's the goodness of the Lord that this has been in my heart for three weeks now to try to articulate it. And this morning on the way to church, Stephanie says, I believe there's a prophetic word. The Lord gave me a prayer I'm supposed to release. You call it coincidence, I call it Holy Spirit. Do you need this? Wow, God is awesome. Yes. For sure, amen. Um, to let you guys know where I'm at, I had not set an alarm this morning. My husband can witness and testify that I'm tired. Um, my work has been very straining lately, so I was not planning to get up, intercede, be in prayer. I was going to get up just in time to be here for church. My husband can witness to that. Um, but God woke me up very early, and I rolled over, and I said, Lord, really? <laughs> I said, really? My husband was snoring good. 
I said, okay, Lord, yes, because it's immediately when I said yes, the Lord brought Pastor Todd's um, voice into my head and said, you have authority, you have identity, will you be obedient and walk in your authority? And that was a word for us as well. I said, yes, Lord. So I got up and I um, got before the Lord and started praying. And um, the first thing I saw, the Lord put hope in huge letters before me. And I'll be transparent with you guys. I've been struggling with hope. Hope is confident expectation for good. And I've been struggling with hope. I'll, I'll just be totally transparent. So then the Lord said, Colossians 1.5. Colossians 1.5, and I'm going to be reading out of the Amplified. It says, because of the hope of experiencing what is laid up, reserved, and waiting for you in heaven, of this hope you heard in the past in the message of the truth of the gospel. And the gospel is Jesus Christ. John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that each and every single one of us can be saved um, and experience eternity. So then um, the Lord, I heard him say, hope, again. It was like he was screaming hope. I said, okay, hope. And then he said, let hope and faith in Jesus arise and your enemies will scatter. The Lord then gave me a vision. And I saw hope and faith connected around Jesus. And it was, it was like the Lord said, what is hope? He said, hope, just like Pastor has said, is confident expectation of good. And then Hebrews 11, 1, um, in the New King James, tells us faith is the substance of things hoped for. There's hope again. And the evidence of things not seen. Um, so faith is only the word. Faith is only in the Old Testament. Faith, like if you... Go to your concordance and look up faith, which I had no idea of this. The word is only in the Old Testament twice. It's in Deuteronomy 32.20, if you guys want to look that up, and then Habakkuk 2.4. Um, and it's, it's actually, those two places are talking about um, children actually not having faith. Um, but this tells me before Jesus, the evidence of faith wasn't reality. So then the Lord said that Jesus came in the flesh so our faith could arise and we can experience the unseen. So then if you um, look at Numbers 10.35, which I didn't know I was going to do this, but the Lord wants us to know what the Word says because that's part of our truth and believing. Numbers 10.35 is Moses speaking. And yet again, this is amplified. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. So the Lord said again, Let hope and faith in Jesus arise, and your enemies will scatter. Then Psalm 68, 1 through 3. Because everything this morning has been leading us to this point. God is so good. Because we're going to declare this. Because just like Moses said it, he declared it out of his mouth. Hope that's okay. Um, but he, uh, Psalm 68, 1 through 3. Hmm. And I'm reading Amplified. God is already beginning to arise and his enemies to scatter. Let them also who hate him flee before him 
As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before the presence of God. But let the uncompromisingly righteous be glad. Let them be in high spirits and glory before God. Yes, let them jubilantly rejoice. So if you guys will stand this morning. We've been sitting for a little bit. Um, And yes, I want us to declare out of our mouths, let hope and faith arise in Jesus and whatever your enemy is, I want it's got a name. Every single one of you know what is attacking you, if it's your finances, if it's uh, sickness. Um, and if that sickness has a name, I want you to say that. Um, and we're going to actually say this, because, and then we're going to rejoice. Um, I don't know, you know, but I, 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 wanna, I believe the Lord wants us to rejoice over this because our enemies will scatter. Um, so I, I want us to say, we're going to say it three times, um, cause I felt like that's what the Lord was saying. But, um, so let's say, Lord, let hope and faith in Jesus arise. Jesus arise and my enemies will scatter. Yes. Amen. Amen. So the rejoicing part is believing that what you said is true. You know, I don't believe it's acting like it's true and it'll be true. If you if it's not true, it ain't gonna be true just because you act like it. <laughs> Some of you get that on the way home. They go, Oh, I know what he's saying now. No, rejoicing in truth is this, is declaring and reacting in accordance with what truth is. Amen. So rejoice. If you really believe that as you, as you set your eye, you allow hope and faith in Jesus Christ to arise, that your enemies are scattered. How many of you here can identify there's been some things that have presented itself as enemies in your life? All right. The rest of you, we'll pray for you because you're not being honest. All of us. I don't care where you're coming from. There's things in us that, that, that rise up that cause fear, that cause us to draw back. It could cause us to pull back from relationships. It could cause us to keep, quit and stop pursuing the things that we feel like God put in our heart. I'm telling you, I believe that in the, even in the remainder of this year that we're going to see destiny arise on the inside of this church. I believe you're going to see... Uh, people arise who look like they were in a coma, I think you're going to see businesses arise. I'm just, I'm prophesying now. I believe you're going to see new businesses start that are going to be prosperous in an economy that looks like it's declining, that's all upside down. I believe the Lord is looking for a glorious church who will declare what he declares, and you're going to see businesses start, and they're going to be uh, unmatched in how they they, uh, succeed and how they prosper. Not so they can put money in their pockets, but so the kingdom of God can be sent around around the world. I mean, we're, we're supporting ministries now in Africa. We're supporting ministries in, in the DR, the churches there. John is desiring to go back to Africa in July. And you know what's standing between John and Africa? It's funds. That's the only thing. It's not does he have a call. It's not does he have things lined up. It's the funds to get him there. Do you think it's the, the Lord's will that there be funds for John to get to Africa? Yeah. Absolutely, because there's, he, you know what he's going to do? He's going to go reach people who haven't been reached with the gospel. That kind of sounds like the will of the Lord to me. Amen. That ain't when I got to fast and pray over for a week. That's okay. You don't have to agree. I'm right. So I believe that the Lord is wanting 
his church, this church, the river, to prosper in a way that people just look and scratch. Not so we can say, look at our new cars, look at our new homes, so we can say, look at Jesus. Because I believe the money's coming in to go into the kingdom. And as it travels through us, you're going to be blessed, you're going to be prosperous. I believe that with all my heart. I just, I, it's rising, and I, it's rising in me so strong. I've, for two days, I've talked to my wife about it. I don't even know what all that means. I'm just telling you what I know. And that's the thing. It can be a word, not a paragraph. And the word is this, is that I'm getting ready to, do, to birth some things in you that you thought was impossible. Amen. Amen. I mean, are willing to, be, to allow the impossible to birth through you. Because here's what I've seen in my life. Very few times do we see Jesus show up because he doesn't have to because we got it all under control. Amen. Everything that we're doing, we can make happen. So my challenge to you is what are you willing to step out in that you cannot do no matter how much you try? It has to be him. Huh? Come on. What are you willing to step out in? Amen. Shit.